0: create for no reason is your weekly dose of courage to stop making excuses and start bringing your ideas to life hello hello i hope you're doing awesome and creating something incredible in your world Uh, this episode is a little different than others because we're talking about relationships I could talk about relationships all day. It is the most fascinating topic because people, we're interesting, right? We are interesting. And the person that we choose to spend and build a life with, this is like the most important decision in our lives. So of course it influences our creativity and influences our fulfillment in life. And when I have an opportunity to speak with an expert, I will take it because I love learning about how we handle relationships, how we approach conversations and communication. And really, I mean, relationships make the world go around, right? So it's always important for us to learn how we can approach relationships in a more meaningful, loving, supportive way. So I'm excited because my guest is Dr. Janie Lace. We had a really great conversation. In fact, you know what's really funny? She messaged me on Instagram right after we had our call. Um, she actually said, when we hung up, I got a call from NBC Nightly News. She inter- they wanted to interview her on the Johnny Depp and Amber Heard trial that was taking place. And uh, that just shows her level of expertise, which is, hey, you know, that's big time. That is big time. Uh, So Dr. Janie Lacey is a licensed relationship trauma psychotherapist who has over a decade of experience working with those who have unsuccessfully tried to break free from their toxic relationship patterns. By addressing the root issue of their suffering, Janie creates breakthrough experiences from the inside out, allowing her clients to finally find peace with themselves they have so desperately longed for in their life. She is a nationally recognized expert in the field of relationship trauma and has been featured in Good Therapy, Daily Buzz, Fox, ABC, CBS, CNN, NBC, all the places. Like I said, she's kind of a big deal. She is also a faculty member with the International Institute of Trauma and Addiction Professionals and an entrepreneur who took her counseling business from a solo practice to a group specialty practice. So without further ado, please enjoy my conversation all about relationships with the wonderful Dr. Janie Lacey. Oh my gosh, Dr. Janie Lacey. I'm so excited. I'm so excited to talk to you today. I'm so excited to be here. (laughs) This is going to be a fun conversation because it is, it's all about relationships. I feel like we could talk about relationships all day long. It's its life. It's our world. It It makes up everything. It does. Absolutely. So you work with, um, you work with a lot of people and um, just to give people some context, like so many people that I interview on this podcast, I met. Dr. Uh, Janie on Clubhouse and we get to spend some time together over there. And every time, every time you do your segments, I'm like, oh my gosh, I, there's so much to learn. There's so much to learn about other people's, the way other people respond, the way you respond. I feel like it's such a space where you can learn a lot more about self-awareness and kind of feel how you approach relationships and how your partners and the partners that you pick. You deal with attachment styles, and you also help people get out of toxic relationships. That's really what you specialize in, which is amazing. So, before we kind of dive into all of that stuff, I would love to kind of start with: How do you assess? How do you assess where the start of your relationship is? Whether you're in a relationship right now, or your, um, or or if you're single, like how do you how do you assess when you're getting into a relationship? What the state of that relationship is? I think when people enter a dating environment,
1: the first thing is they have to understand what their intention is. A lot of people, Kate, unfortunately, will enter the dating environment because they're looking for that one. They're looking for someone to make them happy. You know, um, my life is uh, is not complete until I find, you know, the, the, the good old Jerry Maguire, right? Um, you complete me. So we have these fantasies sometimes in which we'll enter into relationships So we have to go back and understand for one, what is our role model? What's her context? And why do we even want to be in a relationship, right? And I'm saying this as a divorcee. When I look back, you know, it's a joke now. But when I look back, because I had gotten engaged after six months of meeting my ex-husband. And before we know it, we were married after a year. I mean, 15 years. uh, I mean, it was 15 years in that relationship. But when I look back, I had no idea. had no idea what I was doing. And I completely fell in love with an ideal and a fantasy. And I'm sharing that because it's actually very common. It's very common that we look at the notebook. We look at, you know, Beauty and the Beast. And what we don't know, Kate, is those are all toxic relationships. <laughs> <laughs> but yet we hold them to the standard. like, And just like Bonnie and Clyde, we hear rap songs. We hear so many references to, you're going to be my Bonnie to my Clyde. Bonnie was actually married. She was in a fair relationship. There was domestic violence between Bonnie and Clyde, right? So we hold these standards of toxic relationships. And then they become our gold star to what we want in our relationship, but we don't even know ourselves. Or at least I should say, to to me, getting married in my early twenties, so we don't know ourselves. And then we're entering because we think something is going to make us better. And when people enter a dating relationship, in particular, no matter where they are in their their life, they have to understand that I have to be a whole person, and the person is going to add to my life as well as I'm going to add to them. You know, especially I work with a lot of women. And I always tell women, especially my Women Redeemed group, men are not made to be your paycheck, (laughs) right? So we we look at all the the intention of why we want to be in a relationship. And one of the exercises that I have a lot of my women do is to write out who their ideal partner would be. And when they write out who their ideal partner, then I'll turn to them and I'll say, well, are you that?
0: (laughs) Mm. Because
1: we have these ideals and we want something that we are not even Right. So I think that's where we should start at is thinking at what is our intention? What is my ideal partner? And the very thing that I'm looking for, am I that as the starting point? And then to understand that. And this is um, this rocks a lot of, especially the women I work with, it rocks their world that when we enter relationships off of chemistry and the flame and we're thinking about them, we're leaving the date and we're singing the song and we just can't wait to see them. I mean, that's not necessarily a healthy start as as we're talking about starting dating, right? If you get into that possessive thinking and you're already, Kay, you already are imagining yourself having kids and imagining your last name and you don't even know anything about him other than that you felt chemistry, right? And we enter relationships off of that chemistry, but that's going to be short-lived because soon the blinds are going to come off and it has to be to a place of a healthy place to say, does this person... Does it make sense that this person is in my life? What can I add to their life? And what are they adding to my life? And what are our compatibilities? Because this is the hallmark of healthy relationships. We have to have more similarities than we do differences. But the toxic message that we get in society is opposites attract. Yeah, (laughs) say that all the time. You have to have enough differences to make the other person relevant. But you have to have more similarities, which makes it a satisfying long-term relationship.
0: Okay. There is, okay. There's so many, there's so many things that you said that I feel like it could be its own episode (laughs) because I, I do find, so now we're kind of starting with just talking about like in that dating relationship and getting into a relationship. And I, look, I've done it myself where I feel like I, maybe I meet someone on a dating app and I've swiped, right. And we've matched and we've had one message and I'm thinking, This could be the, this is the man of my dreams. And I like envision who this person is. I have no idea who he is, but in my mind, he is this version that I've created. And I don't really see anything wrong. I mean, I I don't really think about it. I'm just kind of in my little phase of like, let's see where this goes. But as you were talking, I think it's so easy to do that. And I've seen friends that have gotten into relationships, even months even years into it. And the person they're with is they, they have this version of them that is actually not what I see. Like, it doesn't seem like what she's telling me this person is like is actually the person that shows up for the, for the relationship. So how does that happen? Like, how do we go through in our relationships, believing this person is someone that they're really not? Well, there's two hallmarks
1: and this is going to go against our cultural norms is for one we need to delay having a sexual relationship with someone that we are in dating. Many times people move very quickly into the date into the sexual relationship and our body has chemicals, it has all types of things. I won't get into the science of it that bonds us and then we can't think clearly. So we have to delay getting into a sexual relationship. And we have to delay fantasizing about that person. We have to be able to observe them and see that they- we could have fun and date and all those good things. But if we get into prematurely attaching to someone and prematurely getting into a sexual relationship with someone, it can cloud our judgment. So we have to start on a, in a sense of a friendship basis and kind of move to like a slow love burn. It's moderate, not a sprint, <laughs> right? And I think a lot of times it's very difficult because we live in a culture that really promotes the hookup culture. It's to check under the hood, make sure he has all the parts, make sure she has all the parts. And I mean, literally, right. I'm in, I'm a certified sex addiction therapist. So I work in the sex addicted space and there are apps where people are going on virtual dates, right? They put on the virtual spaces and they're having sex with each other virtually to see if they even are compatible sexually. So we have a culture that feeds this type of mentality and when we move quickly, because we feel like, and this is where it goes to, if we're not healthy and we're trying to perform an audition for someone's love and acceptance, we will betray ourselves and self-abandon our own values to get that person being accepted, to accept us. And that's the the, the start of potentially um, unhealthy and toxic attachments to, to someone. So we have to delay having sexual relations and we have to move slowly and actually date the person so we can see who they are about four to six months is the first stage where we can see where if someone is creating, their representative is coming to the to the dates with Kate and Kate is continuously dating them for about six months and she hasn't slept with them yet. And she's meeting them out in public. She's doing um, traditional type dating with them and not inviting them to do Netflix and chill, right? <laughs> Literally going out and seeing them with their friends, with different environments. Then she can see them for who they are without her chemicals and without the vision of who she wants them uh, to be. And then she can make that decision, you know, right around the six months. You know what? I want to continue dating this person. And then when I tell women, you know, I don't tell people when they should or shouldn't have sex, but I say to try to delay it. And when they ask me, I say, try to delay it, you know, to as much as possible to that four to six month mark. And they're like, what are you talking about? Four to six months? (laughs) I'm like, absolutely. Because if you have 10 guys that you're dating, you want the one guy who says, Kate's worth it. I enjoy Mm. being with her and I like her as a person. And i want to spend time with her versus the other nine potentially that says you know what she doesn't want me to hit it so i'm i'm quitting it right you want them to move out of the way for that one person who sees value in you and it's harder for people to adopt that mentality but we know with the work of john gottman who's one of my mentors and i'm a gottman therapist is that long term longevity of those relationships start from either a friendship base or they start with a slow burn, slow love, and I'm getting to see you for who you are and not who I want you to be.
0: Mm. Oh my gosh. So as you're talking, I'm like, that sounds so wonderful. But in today's culture, I mean, is that even possible? I think that's the biggest... That is the biggest challenge I hear from anyone who is single is that people go on these dating apps, they meet someone, they, you have to move very quickly, or they're just on to the next person, or it's almost impossible to just give your, your all to one person because they're off, they go on a date with you and you're like, they're like, ah, it was all right. And now they go and find somebody else. Like people don't even really give each other a lot of time to explore. Like, could this be a good match or not? Because it's almost like there's something better out there. Because I can just download another app and find twenty more people to click on. And thank God they moved out of the way because they're
1: gonna to continue to make room for the one who's gonna find value. Mm-hmm. But I think a lot of people are fearful, exactly that. It's a real point. People are fearful they're gonna be left out. They're gonna fearful that everyone else has all the these relationships that I see on social media and I like social media is one dimensional. <laughs> Yeah. I know personally, because I'm looking at a lot of people, my, my social media is very public. So I work with a lot of people and I can see what people post and I know what's really going on. Right. So I know it's false. So when that happens, I think a lot of times we get this fear of that, that someone's not choosing me. And ultimately, and this is the the other statistic for those of us that are over 35 and dating is that you really have more of a needle in a haystack to find someone who's truly compatible. And it's just the way it is. Because this is what happens is that when you get over a certain age, people have either been divorced or they've been in multiple relationships. And we look at it from a dating pool. We talk about attachment styles. You'll have more of the the avoider or anxious attachment style in the dating pool. Because secure attachments tend to stay in relationships a lot longer. So they're not going to necessarily be available. So then the needle in the haystack would be, obviously there are certain circumstances that put that secure person back in the dating scene, or Kate, they've done the healing work to be in the dating scene so that they know when they're attracting either an anxious person or an avoider, or when they're moving either from their own anxious attachment style or avoid attachment style to a secure attachment style. So it takes mm. work. So I jokingly say, when we go through our, my dating curriculum in my Women Redeem, that uh, one of the questions that should be asked within that one to three dates is, how do you feel about counseling? <laughs> no way, Really? Absolutely. Because if someone says, oh no, I don't believe in counseling, then it's an indication that they potentially feel like they've grown to their capacity. And if someone says, you know what, I believe in coaching, I believe in counseling, I believe in having all the help to get me to be my best self, then there's an indication that they have a growth mindset. And from a secure standpoint, you want someone that sees that, you know what, they have to continue to grow versus I've already hit my capacity. I know everything I need to know because potentially when you marry someone like that,
0: <laughs> it'll give me some trouble
1: under the. Uh-uh.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. You know what would be really cool is if a date, if dating apps had you, you had to take a quiz to know what attachment style you were. And then you could like figure out how to do the work to become, I mean, if you needed mm-hmm. to kind of. I don't want to say fix yourself, but if you need, Mm -hmm. if you, if there's pieces, like you said, that you needed to work on a little bit and almost normalize it like, Hey Mm -hmm. guys, we're all a little messed up. Like we all have some issues, but as long as you're willing to become self-aware and work on them and become a better human being, not just a better person for someone else, but become better for you to live a healthier, happier, more fulfilling life. So you mentioned attachment styles. Let's kind of dig into this because this is something that I just recently, and when I say recently, probably within the last two years, have learned about. I didn't know that this was like a thing that was just talked about all the time. And you've talked about it on your show. In fact, I... I picked up that book attached because I was like, I got to dig in and figure out all this stuff. Um, So, and I only know about it because one of my friends who is in therapy told me all about it and, and kind of walked me through it because he would, after I would go on a date, he would say to me, oh yeah, that guy's an anxious avoider. Like he would like, (laughs) no, I'm like, what are you talking about? So let's talk about what is attachment style? uh, What, what are the, what are they? And how can we kind of self-identify?
1: Absolutely. and its basic sense, attachment really comes from our childhood. We are born in relationships. We're made in relationships. We're hurt in relationships. We can also heal in relationships. So how we attach primarily to our caregivers can set us up for our pattern in life, right? So there are studies from John Bowlby all the way back from, you know, when we we're babies. But from the for the sake of the conversation, you know, sometimes when we don't have an available parent, so to speak. So if we had a parent that, you know... From an adult standpoint, we can understand they're busy, they're trying to create life, but they don't know how to lean into little Kate and let Kate know how beautiful she is and how proud they are to have her as their daughter and they're interested in who she is, right? So Kate can learn to either become really anxious because she wants to attach to her caregiver when she needs some type of nurture. But then when she goes running to mom and mom, mom, I'm having some type of pain and mom rejects her. Then she learns to avoid relationships. And I'm just giving a very basic example. Then we take some of those wounds right up until our romantic relationships. And we have no idea because a lot of times people don't realize that we have a lot of healing work. They think I haven't had any big traumas in my life. Many people haven't. Many people have had smaller, what we call smaller T's. It's the emotional, emotional neglect. So we have emotional neglect then we'll have a dominant either anxious attachment style or an avoidant attachment style. And when I did my own personal work, I was—I would be called a disorganized or an ambivalent attachment style because I had a mom who at times was available. So I understood and felt connection, but at times she wasn't available. So how that would show in my dysfunctional dance dancing relationships is once I had my fantasy of who I wanted you to be, I'm off to the races and I'm uh, completely attached to you, overly attached to you, prematurely attached to you hence why I got married under a year (laughs) and then when I get the very thing that I want I get the closeness I get all the good stuff I push you away right so that's how the anxious avoidant attachments come here go away come here go away and that presents in men and women and the avoidant attachment style which actually there's a good movie that I look um that I use in my example in one of my lectures it's actually Gone Girl so Gone Girl when you look at um Ben Affleck's character in the beginning, he says to to Amy in the movie, he says, you know, I'm the one who's going to rescue you. And they fall in love on the first date and they get married. They have a very toxic, love-addicted relationship. But what happens for Amy is a good example is that she's like, where did my husband go? In the beginning, he came in, he was loving me, All he was all available. But people confuse the avoidant because they think they're going to spot an avoidant. Avoidant will love bomb you in the beginning. They're all about you, Kate. They're buying you gifts. They're sending you good morning text messages. I'm thinking about you. They're sending you a surprise, you know, just because flowers to your office. And you're like just in the clouds, even though you feel like, wow, it's a lot, but you like the attention, because you've been emotionally neglected, right? So when we've been emotionally neglected and we're not in a secure place, the love bombing comes in. It's like we have a target on our head because we we're thinking the little simplest thing is the biggest deal. So we're calling our girlfriends. Guess what he's done? And then once we get secured in the relationship, so to speak, we're in the committed relationship, he starts becoming distant. He starts working too much. He's watching TV. And Kate is like, what happened to my Nick?" I just want to spend time with you. can we go on a date? He's like, "Well, I'm busy, I'm too tired. So then he starts slipping away. And that's what happens for the avoider, but a lot of people think the anxious type, the anxious type in the beginning is actually the one who's cautious. They're like, I don't know if I can trust you. I don't really know, but let me see where this is going. and then you'll call your girlfriends and you'll process it. And then but once the avoider who comes on really strong in that love bombing type, when he gets you, then you think you're you're good. Because now you're like, okay, I can I can trust him. I'm letting down my guards. And that's when the rug, <laughs> so to speak, gets pulled from underneath you. So we look at those t- attachment styles they'll present. And that's just a very general way of how it would present. But ultimately what happens is in relationship, there's a pursuer and a distancer. So when it come into couples counseling, there's someone that usually is dragging him in and, and 80% is usually the woman who's dragging him in. And it was like, well, only if, she's not necessarily saying, only if Janie could just fix him. Then it'll be all right. And she's pursuing, 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 and he's avoiding, avoiding, but he's giving her just enough crumbs that she's staying engaged. And mm. a lot of times when we have this is activated, a lot of people don't realize that what they're bringing in is, is historical because she can literally say, well, he's avoiding me. He's not talking to me. We don't have sex this much. So they focus on the crisis. So they don't get to understanding their attachments down until they do the deeper work because there's crisis. So they're just focusing on the crisis. They don't care about their childhood or their attachment. I just need him to get fixed so we can get on with our life. <laughs> uh,
0: so, okay. So when people are, go- first of all, I love that you said love bombing. Cause that's another, that's another term that I did not know until like the last couple of years because it was happening to me. And I was like, But it kind of freaked me out. So apparently I'm a voider. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It was kind of like, oh, I like it. But also, this is a lot. We've just met and now you want to marry me. But so when we go through our our relationships, like when I'll kind of go back to the original question of for those people that are in relationships right now, and, you know, that's that's a whole different thing, right? Like you're, you're in the relationship. And I love that you kind of talked through your journey because I think so often we're never, we're not really taught how to pick a partner. Like we're not taught how to choose the best person, which is th- probably the biggest decision in our whole life, the person that we're going to spend our life with. So we have all of these people that are in relationships, obviously divorce, the rate of divorce. I mean, you would know more than I do, but I know it's like 50% or higher of people that get divorced. So how do you, when you're in a relationship, how do you figure out, okay, if you're just learning this information now about attachment styles, like how do you go about assessing the relationship that you're in and then talking to your partner through this stuff so that you can have a healthier relationship? And is it possible to have a healthier relationship? Like how do you kind of get into the more secure attachment style?
1: There's uh, two parts to answer that question. The first part is before you even go to your partner, you want to do your own work right? So you want to be able to understand what is my attachment style. So if I'm anxious, then that probably means that I am overly prematurely. I'm try- I'm needy. I come off needy. And there's always this preoccupation with my partner. So you have to get to this place of moving from yourself from anxious to more of a secure type or being on the journey to be moving towards more secure type. And then you invite your partner in and, and usually probably with a professional. And if they, this is the, this is the key though, when people get to a place of their own healing and what happens is if their partner doesn't want to join them, they have to make a decision. So they're either going to go back to their own style of relating, or they're going to have to make some tough decisions. And that's usually when attachment styles come into play because people don't want to have to make um, tough decisions. So how you are, there's and actually going back to your divorce rate. There are actually a lot of people that stay together because we're in a culture where we value longevity versus valuing satisfaction in relationship. So we'll clap for the people that have been married for 30 or 45 years, but yet we don't know if he punches her every night, right? So we value, you know, and to me, things should be a little bit different, right? But our newer generation, which is a whole nother conversation, our newer generation coming up are valuing more satisfying type of attachment styles versus the longevity. So first you want to understand what your attachment style is. Then you want to do your own work. And then you want to invite your partner into your journey with you because attachment avoider and anxious attachment are usually the dominant ones that will attach to each other. And it's usually the anxious type would be the one that would actually be seeking therapy or become an awareness. An avoider is usually one who's unaware that they're unaware because they are operating from a place of safety. They're good. They don't even know what they don't know. And they are the ones that are coming in. Our relationship is good while she's over there upset and she's, you know, spinning off and he's literally saying their relationship is good, <laughs> right? So the avoider type is usually the more difficult one to get out of denial and to bring into an awareness because sometimes we don't understand that we are an avoider until we get into a relationship, until someone actually gives you feedback of growth. So if someone says, you know, well, well, John, I really need you to pay more attention to me. I want us to do date nights and he could perform for a while. He can do it. Then he goes back to his, his comfort zone. So that means that he's doing it to meet your needs, to please you versus him really embodying something that he believes. So voters can perform and that's the crumbs. That's where someone who's more anxious that's trying to work through the relationship stays connected because they're like, okay, he does this for a while and I get it all the time, Kate. They're like, well, he, I, I know our pattern. He'll do it for a while, then he goes back to normal. He does it for a while and he comes back to normal. But that anxious type, and this is literally what many people will say, is I can't leave him, but I can't stay either, right? So they get stuck in that place because of their activation of their attachment style, which is very anxious. Because on the other side, we can get into all, directions with this but on the other side more times than not an anxious attachment style also has abandonment issues which is why they prematurely attach to relationships and why they stay in dysfunctional relationships because a secure person if we kind of look at as that as a model would say well you know john these are some things i need in our relationship and you know we've tried to work these things out and i'm just going to go in a different direction that person who has a secure attachment style will be sad but they're not going their world is not going to crumble. And they know their world is not going to crumble. They know they're going to be okay. Where an anxious attachment style goes to the doom and gloom. What am I going to do about John? I'm going to have to take all my social media pictures down. We're dating. <laughs> right, so doom and gloom is the worst thing ever. Where that a secure person says, you know what? I'm going to recover. I'm going to be okay. It sucks, but I'm going to be just fine. Right. So if we can't do that. You know, for those that are listening and watching, if we can't say no matter if we've been married 20 years, 30 years or dating for five months, if we can't say, you know what, if something happens to my partner, I will be okay. I will go through a grief period. I'm probably going to be sad. I probably will have some things, but I know I'm going to be okay. If you think you're going to die without this person. I mean, that's just not healthy. It's just not healthy.
0: Oh, and you started with that, you started with that idea of you complete me, and I love that you shared that that we need to be whole individuals, like we're not looking for someone to complete us, but we're looking for someone that helps enhance our life. I mean that's really what all of our relationships should do is help us become a better version of ourselves. I'm so curious to hear your thoughts on how you see not only dating but relate but but i probably especially dating. Well, let's start with dating because it's, it's fascinating how it's changed over the past 10 years. Like, do you believe that people, first of all, can date, get married and stay together long-term because so many people now are in this state, in this state of just thinking like, oh, we're not, you know, I hear all the time, like, we're not meant to be together for this long. And we used to live, we didn't used to live till a hundred. Like, how do you expect to, to stay with someone for so long? My parents just celebrated their 50th wedding anniversary, 50 years of marriage. And it's unheard of. Like most people do not stay married for that long. So is it even possible to find someone, date someone, get married and expect to live the rest of your life with them?
1: And the answer is yes. And first going back to your other question, the the quick answer is that two people that are in a relationship that are dysfunctional, they can grow together, but they have to be on the same page just to kind of sum that part up. But when we think about dating right now, we have to understand who we are, what's our value, what do we bring to the table? And I'm talking about mature dating. What do we bring to the table? Because then that means we're moving in a place of reality. Because then when we find someone who's more similar to us, they hold the same values, they hold the same principles, they're going to honor those things if they're more similar than not. And when people date, they don't ask the question. And and I think the question should be, you know, what is your intention with dating? Well, because if someone says, Oh, well, I'm just going to see what happens. That's not. And if you're looking for a long-term relationship, that's going to lead to a long-term marriage, that's not the person you want to date. But then what will happen is people will abandon themselves. Okay. Well, I'll just see what happens. Maybe he's the one. No out the gate. You know that you're not in the same page. And I'm not saying for people that may be lying to you, but if someone says, you know what, I'm dating with the purpose I'm dating because I am looking for a long-term partner. You're already starting off on the same page. But if you're out there kind of saying, well, let me see what happens, then, then no relationship is going to be long term, right? They're going to be short term because you're you're not necessarily dating from a place of intentionality, from a place of purpose, and you're not coming to the table knowing who you are because that means you're not going to waste your time. You're not going to be aggressive with people or mean, but you also are going to be able to say, you know, you know what, Billy, it was I had a great couple of dates with you, but I just realized that I'm looking for something different so you know i really wish which i really wish the best for you it's so difficult for some of the women and my women redeemed to even say something like that they will continue to go on dates because they're like well maybe we'll just see what happens i don't want to hurt his feelings so we're going to waste time (laughs) right (laughs) and and the reason why i'm pointing that out is because if we want a long-term relationship long-term marriage we want to be with someone and ride off the sunset with them it is absolutely possible but if we're operating from a place of fantasy then we're going to probably find the same pattern over and over again. But if we're dating from a place of reality and we've done our work and we're continuously doing our work and you're being intentional, you're not wasting someone's time, you're moving moderately, you're not jumping in the bed with them quickly, right? If we have all those things in place, which it sounds healthy, but it's hard work for a lot of people, especially when we're going against the cultural norms and you stay true to that, there are so many success stories i mean that if i had permission i would love to share several of them with you because they give us all hope right in the sense that when you do the work you do all these things that we know without a doubt that can bring you the results but the main thing kate is you have to know yourself especially if you're over 35 and you've been in relationships you've been married before and you know we hear these statistics people always say well dr Lacey i always hear the second marriages or third marriages well, if you're not going to do your work and you're just going to like jump in another relationship, of course you're going to be that statistic.
0: <laughs> yeah. No, that's true. It's, you know, somebody's got to come up, somebody has to come up with that kind of a dating app, like some people with people who are doing work, they do personal development, they read all the books, they're into kind of the love languages, attachment styles, like then you can find these healthy people that are that know and can approach a relationship that way. Because I think that's the biggest challenge is kind of not only are you trying to get to know someone just in general, like what music they like, what do they do, but also, their background and how they approach relationships and what that looks like. It's so, it's, there's so much that we have to uncover, um, which is why you probably say to just hold off on physical stuff for at least exactly.
1: (laughs) You know, Kate, probably about, it's probably been about four years now. I was a host of um, an event. It was called finding the love experience. And I learned so much from this because we had to interview all these men. so we had a, kind of like a celebrity she was a she's an ex-wife of an NBA player so she was on the dating scene she was going to be our she was our bachelorette. And my team, we were, uh, got the job where we had to interview all of the bachelors who were gonna be behind a curtain. They were behind a curtain and we were gonna have the audience pick her person. So we had a questionnaire and I have a point here. We had a questionnaire, like eight pages. We're finding out credit scores. We're finding out they had STDs. <laughs> I mean, we're finding out all the psychological things. And I could tell you, I thought there was like hidden cameras in that office. Like some of the stuff people would say. But even after we did all of that, We found the connection. The audience had um, connected her with someone. We had the audience vote is someone who I thought she would be a good pick with. And they went out. We had a camera on with them on their date and it still didn't work. (laughs) Really? And the key of why it didn't work. And I look back now at that experience, like what happened in that experience is they both to to me were still fresh out of their relationships, even though it wasn't like, you know, within a year they were still fresh out of their relationships where they were not in a place of 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 true maturity right and that was the feedback i gave them we did a, a, a we did a um an episode of them both coming on camera and kind of talking about what happened on the date but you know even when we think we're ready to to my point sometimes we're not ready so you can have all the things that line up but ultimately if you haven't taken i i say if you haven't been a good steward of your single season you're not going to be a good steward of your dating season so and that good steward of your single season are you doing the work? Are you dating yourself? Are you having, building your own life, your own healthy friendships? And are you around people that have healthy relationships? Many times, especially for females, we're around other women that don't have healthy relationships. They're either married for 30 years, but they're miserable, right? Or, you know, our girlfriends are talking about dogs, you know, he's a dog and all. So we have these messaging. So we have to be around people who are positive and that can give us some positive experiences because we can even look at uh, in that experience and have everything lined up and, and let me tell you Kate I will never do that again it was the most stressful thing i've ever done i'm not a matchmaker <laughs> it was a nice try because i had the background and they they had me hosted it was a lot of fun if you want if you see the clips it was a lot of fun for me but behind cameras i'm sweating i'm thinking about it was like hard to even find these four guys out of all the men that we had um interviewed it's like wow what was out there was scary
0: <laughs> wow well then what is your thought on these shows like love is blind or married at first sight, all these dating shows that we are so addicted to, right? I mean, people get so addicted to these shows.
1: Absolutely. And next week I'll be filming an episode of 90 day fiance.
0: Oh no, wonder. Are you serious? My sister loves that show.
1: Yes. I will be the therapist. So the couple will be coming in therapy. So they are um, filming us uh, doing a therapy session. But a couple things with that. So my mentor, Paul Brunson, he um, is the executive producer of Celebrity Go Dating out of London. Right. So I know him personally and I know all the behind the scenes stuff that they do. So I do believe there is some good things as far as these shows spotlighting. Right. Some of the psychological attachments, but they are from an entertainment standpoint. Like I watched Ultimatum. (laughs) I watched Ultimatum on Netflix and I saw, you know, I can look from my viewpoint, I'm like, okay, she has attachment issues. She's an avoider. She probably has untreated trauma. Right. So I think there's some things that we can learn from them, but we should not use them as our gold standard. We should not use anyone as couples goals hashtag because once you do that, I also believe we get into a fantasy way of what things should look
0: like. And then we ourselves potentially don't show up as our true self. Yeah, that's a good point. I, you know, I, I would sometimes, watch. I told my sister, I said, I would watch Married at First Sight literally because I wanted to hear what the experts had to say. Like, I like hearing the experts and their viewpoint of like, how do they take two people that are dealing with conflict and they help them go through conflict. And what's so fascinating to me is the fact that we are grown humans that should be able to have healthy dialogue and conversation with the person that we love, but it's it's hard, like it can be challenging. And, and it's something like you said that you have to work at. And um and I think that I love that there are so many people like you that are out there that are spreading this message, that are helping people to have healthier relationships because um there are so many people that don't want to go to therapy or they don't think that they need help, but help is good in all areas of our life. So what would you say to somebody What is one piece of advice that you can give to somebody? Let's do two. I want you to give one piece of advice that you can give to single women that are in their 30s and above, right? So like they're in a different kind of place in life. Um, And what advice would you give to them as far as like their dating journey? And then talk to those folks that are in relationships and how they can um, build a deeper relationship with their significant other
1: someone that's on a dating journey that's in their 30s the first thing is to know who you are and really do the work take the time and be a good steward of your single season go out have a good time read the books go to therapy be okay in your own skin be okay when you are going to sleep in your room at night and you don't have to share that remote with anyone else right be okay in that space and then when you go out and dating understand what you are looking for and being very specific about that. It's not about, I need him to be 6'2". No, it's about how do you feel? How do you want to feel in a relationship? A lot of times people will say, I want to someone that's going to make me look good. No, we want someone that's going to make us feel good. And there's a true difference. If we can be ourselves and we're looking from that place of who you are and we're moving very slowly and looking at it from a place of friends. Versus I have to go out because what happens, especially my anxious attachment style, people are going out looking for that one. It's kind of like, is he the one? Is he the one? No. Go out and look for friends. I'm going and meeting new friends because that takes the anxiety off and it really just puts you in a place of comfort because you also don't want to send your representative. So do your work be authentic, write out that list and make sure you're that list and you are not going out to catch the fish. You are going out to meet new friends. You're going on a pond, you're going swimming with some friends and you're just going to have fun. And then if you're already in a relationship to never get, and I do say never get comfortable, continue to grow together, create novelty. Because when we look at, right, I'm in the space of betrayal, trauma and addictive relationships, love and sex. And when I look at betrayal trauma, we'll take in the elements of what would make someone step outside of the relationship, right or wrong, right? Remove the moral judgment. It's no one's fault. But when we look at at how someone wants to repair betrayal, they do want to work on the relationship. There is an element where we have to take those affair qualities and put them in the relationship. That's novelty. That is that you both have to have an independent life. So when you come together, there's a newness and there's something that you're bringing versus what happens. Is that people become comfortable in their relationship, not like brother and sister. Nobody wants to have sex with their brother. When right? <laughs> so you get comfortable, and that's what happens, it takes out all that stuff. And then you feel too familiar. You're too close. He's my best friend. Yes. You want to have some elements of best friend, best friends. But from a woman's standpoint, he can't be your pastor. He can't be your best friend. He can't be your lover and he can't be your son and he can't be your daddy and all those things because then it is going to take away that element of novelty. That's why you have friends. So if you want to talk about, you know, your bad cramping on your periods, talk to your friends about that, not your man. So we need to have a deeper relationship and to grow. You both have to have a growth mindset, but you also have to understand that the other person is not your all, that you have a shared journey, but you want to have, they are a part of your life and not your life. And that means you have your own passion, you have your own careers, you have your own friends, but you have to have honest, mature conversations. There are a lot of people that live together, that um, sleep together, that are married together, that don't know how to have mature conversations. And that's to be able to come home and say, you know what, Johnny, I miss you. I want us to spend some good time together because we're afraid of rejection or we're afraid of, you know, he's not going to do anything. So then you learn to go on and busy can be a trauma response for women, right? He's he's there, but yet we have the social media pictures.
0: <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. So true. And you're so right. It's funny. I will I will get off the phone with friends of mine and they'll be talking to me about the relationships and then I'll go on to social media and all of a sudden they're like, love my boo. And I'm like, wait, we just got off the phone <laughs> and that is not what's happening right now, but you know, whatever mm-hmm. um, it happens. Okay. Uh, Dr. Lacey, how can people connect with you? What, how do you work with people? If people are like, okay, I want to, I want to explore this. What does that look like? Yep.
1: So right now I have a woman redeemed community where it allows me to work with many people. And uh, that's just a monthly membership where we do a monthly webinar, which I have a webinar. um about time this episode had already passed, but I have a webinar tomorrow on uh, trauma bonds and a toxic emotional attachment. So we have webinars. We do a book, which the Wired from for Love was one of our book clubs. So we have that. And then, you know, obviously I'm on social media everywhere. It's either Janie Lacey or Dr. Janie Lacey. And I just got on a TikTok. So I'm taking my hand at TikTok.
0: Oh, goodness. (laughs) All right. Good. Well, they need you over on TikTok because TikTok (laughs) is a frenzy with all these people that are dating. TikTok is becoming like a dating app. It's crazy. All these people that are hooking up on TikTok. It's everywhere. Clubhouse. Um, I'm sure you got some of those DMs like I've got them. (laughs) it's everywhere. People just shooting their shot. Shooting their shot. Hey, you know, can't blame them. Everyone's looking for love, right? Everyone's looking for love. Love or hookup. Oh, that's true. That's true. Some of us are looking for love. Others are looking for some other things. Exactly. (laughs) Dr. Janie, thank you so much. I'm so glad we do that. We did this. We were talking about it for a while and we made it happen. So I appreciate you taking the time.
1: Absolutely. It was my pleasure, Kate.
0: Okay. What did you think? what did you think of the episode? I would love to hear your thoughts. Do you, do you know your attachment style? When, when, when Dr. Lacey was telling us about our, like just attachment styles and relationships and how to approach dating and relationships, what did you learn? What is something that you thought, Oh yeah, Hey, I do this, or this is something that I've seen or experienced in past relationships That's what I love so much about talking to experts in this field is the opportunity for them to really shed a light on some of the challenges that we might see in ourselves. I'm so fascinated with the whole dating world right now. And we mentioned this in the show, but what I think is so funny is TikTok. I'm not really on TikTok a whole lot, but when I do pop on there, I see so many people talking about, going on dates from people they met on dating apps. And there's so many people that talk about the failures. And I'm kind of like, well, what about the fun successes? There's gotta be some successes out there from people that are are getting together and dating. And it's kind of just like a self-awareness. It's a self-awareness opportunity for us to figure out how we can, again, approach relationships differently. And I love how... Dr. Janie says that we need to continue to do the work and whoever we decide to partner with and build a life together with that person, it's someone that has to be in that same place, that that growth-minded place to help you grow together. And that's really the only way that you can successfully grow in a relationship if you're growing together. Anyway, I'm not the expert. She is. If you want to learn more about her her, or uh, get involved in her um in her uh, in her program. Then check her out on Instagram. She's amazing. You can also find her doing a segment on Breakfast with Champions on Clubhouse on Thursday mornings at five thirty a.m. So if you're an early riser, you can hang out and uh, and check out what she has to share. Thank you so much for listening. I appreciate you. If you are interested in getting some uh, book recommendations and journaling prompts and just some ideas to help you live a more creative and inspired life, then please uh, sign up for Massive Optimism. That's my newsletter that I send out usually on Sundays to kind of kickstart your week. And you can go to massiveoptimism.club to find that out. And... Hey, I hope you're doing something amazing. I hope you're creating. And, you know, until next time, go create something.